Hey, good morning, everyone. It's a privilege to be here at Evangelical Free Church. I live in Seattle and have lived in Washington since 1984, but Ashley was born in Oakland and grew up in Fresno, so California's my home, and uh, went to Talbot Seminary, so, uh, you know, go Biola and that kind of stuff as well. And uh, also, uh, in, just enjoy the sunshine, actually, a little bit. Uh, it will not be this warm in my world until next August. That's just the way it will be. So it's good to get a little dose of sun and vitamin D before I fly back uh, to where it will always be raining until next May. So that's a good thing. And uh, privilege to be with you here because when I was in high school in Fresno, uh, one of the spiritual shaping influences of my life was Insight for Living Radio Ministry uh, out from this location. And so God has used you, I know, for generations. And my prayer is that our time together this morning would contribute to God using you for further generations to come. So please join me in prayer, and then we'll look at the text together. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness to Evangelical Free Church and the way in which the light of Christ has gone out from here around the world. Uh, As we gather this morning, we pray that that same light would uh, enlighten each of our hearts and minds and souls to the end, that we might be shaped by you to be nothing less than people of hope in a world desperately looking for such. So give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to us. Give us hearts to respond. We'll thank you for all that awaits as we follow you. As we pray in the name of Christ, who is our hope. Amen. In August of 2013, I was in a very busy season of ministry, having been at the church that I uh, pastor since 1995. I was about 18 years into the ministry. And over time, Uh, The ministry had grown, and life got very busy for me, and so it was a busy season. I was speaking on the East Coast. I flew back from the East Coast on a Friday night, Saturday morning, at an all-morning interview that uh, uh, ended in lunch with the candidate. And so if you can picture the candidate and I sitting on an outdoor patio at a restaurant, because yes, in August it doesn't always rain in Seattle, so we're sitting outdoors enjoying a meal, and uh, the phone rang, and the number was plus four nine, and then the number, and plus four nine is Germany. My daughter lives in Germany, or did at the time. So I picked up the phone, and uh, I, I said, Christy, I can't talk to you right now, I'm in, a, I'm in a meeting. And the response on the other end was, this isn't Christy, this is Peter. Peter is my friend Peter Reed, who runs a Bible school uh, on the shores of Lake Constance uh, and the Bodensee. It's called the Bodensee in Germany. Uh, and, and Peter said, I need to talk to you right now. So I sat down, and he said, uh, Hans Peter was killed in a paragliding accident today, and Hans Peter is one of my best friends, director of a Bible school in Austria. So he died in a paragliding accident, and there was kind of a convergence zone in my life at that moment of several difficult things. I was very busy and hence very tired. Many ministries in my world were imploding. In other words, I was looking at other large churches and seeing financial crises, sexual crises, power crises, integrity crises, and ministries were imploding, creating an ocean of cynical Christians in Seattle and creating a massive departure from the faith entirely. Some people were drifting away. Other people were just shaking their fist at God and walking away. But somehow that convergence zone of the death of my friend and the implosion of ministries and the knowledge that many people that I know and love have begun the journey with Christ and are no longer walking with Christ and then toss into that my own weariness in the moment and I was like this, I've got to take a break. I have to get out of here. 
And so I went to the board and I asked if I could take a sabbatical. And they generously granted me a six-week period off. And so one year later, my wife and I spent uh, 40 days hiking through the Alps. And so we hiked for 40 days in a row, 400 kilometers, with this framing question, what does it mean to walk with God? We hear that all the time. And we even, if we're evangelists, we even ask one another, hey, how's your walk? Well, I was so tired of hearing the question and so confused regarding how to answer the question that I decided I need to understand what it means to walk with God. So what better way to learn how to walk with God than by walking? Every day, for 40 days, for 40 kilometers, through rain and snow and heat and bugs and sun and cold, we walked. The framing verse for our walk was Jeremiah 6, verse 16. Jeremiah spoke at a time of weariness, at a time of cynicism. Jeremiah spoke to a group of people who knew the right answers, said the right answers, gathered in the right building, but were void of the life for which they were created. And Jeremiah is speaking to those people who are going through the motions of what was then Christianity, but functionally having no life. This is what Jeremiah says to them, Jeremiah 6. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your soul. That's why I traveled. That's why I hiked. I needed rest. Does anyone in the room need rest today? Yeah. We live in a hyper-connected, hyper-individualized, hyper-polarized, hyper-fearful, hyper-isolated, hyper-hyper, hyper-culture. And for that reason, many of us are living lives of anxiety when Jesus has called us to peace. Lives of weariness when Jesus has called us to rest. Lives of fear when Jesus calls us to courage. How do we recover the life for which we were created? That's the question on the table. Because remember, Jesus didn't say in John 10.10, I've come that you might get to go to heaven when you die. That's a true statement, but that's not why he came. Jesus said what? I've come that you might have life and that you might live it, man, overflowing so that in the greater Los Angeles basin, people who are living lives of fear might see your courage. Lives of addiction might see your freedom. Lives of hate might see your love. Lives of greed might see your generosity. Lives of confusion might see your simplicity. I've come that you might represent nothing less than the risen Jesus, given full freedom and expression to express his life uniquely through you so that a dark world will see light because Jesus said to you, not you ought to be, not you might be. Jesus said, you are what? The light of the world. So shine, man. That's it. So how do we do that is the question on the table this morning. I want to shine. I want life. I want rest. I want peace. I know Jesus. I do certain things. But how can I enter into the life for which Christ died and rose again? How can I do that? Hey, I'm so glad you asked. That's why I'm here this morning. So I'm going to give you the answer to that question by asking three more questions. And the questions have to do with something, a concept called rule of life. So the questions are up on the board right now, or they will be in just a second, or they might be. They're not yet. The next slide, please. That's it. Three questions. What is a rule of life? Why is a rule of life important? And how do I create a rule of life? And before we go on, I'm just going to explain the, the slide there. That's my front yard, just so you know. So I live in a very snowy place. We live 50 miles east of Seattle. Everything that falls is rain in Seattle falls as snow where we live to the tune of 400 inches a year. 
So this is literally our front yard, and every morning at 7 a.m., several of my neighbors have a habit of walking together. The body on the far right is my wife. You can meet her outside afterwards, and those are two of her other neighbors, but these three, uh, they have a habit of walking every morning in snow, in rain, in fog, in heat, when there's bugs, when there's no bugs, when it's dry, when it's wet. If it's seven, they're walking. It's amazing, and they've been doing it for years, actually. So that's a habit, and we're going to talk about rule of life because rule of life is a habit. Why is rule of life important, and how do I create a rule of life? So let me begin with that first question. What is a rule of life? Well, when we instituted this document you have in your hand in our church, at the top it says rule of life, Uh, some millennials in our church, particularly younger people, they said, rule of life, wait a minute, we don't like rules. Like, that's a millennial thing. We don't like rules. And I said, okay, then don't, if, you, if you don't want to think of them as, as rules, think of these as habits. You will create some habits that will care for your soul. Because here's the deal. All of us have habits. Who has a, who has a habit of uh, 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 having coffee in the morning? Anybody in the room? Who has a habit of, who have habits of running? One person. <laughs> who, like, Everybody else is out running, apparently. I don't know. Uh, who has a habit of watching football on Sunday? Some people have habits. Okay, so, some people have habits of eating dessert. Some people have habits of brushing their teeth. Some, uh, some people have habits of, you know, watching particular uh, movies or television shows or something like that. And, and so we all, have, we all have habits. And so when we talk about creating a rule of life, this is a, this is a practice of developing spiritual disciplines that's been going on for 2,000 years in the church. And what you're really doing is you're choosing and, and developing habits that will, that will create a context for your soul to grow in Christ. So I'm going to challenge you this morning to be very intentional about creating not just habits of brushing teeth and watching TV and running, but habits for your soul. Because that's what a rule of life is. And if you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus had habits. In Luke uh, chapter 4, verse 16, this is what you read. Uh, it being the Sabbath, Jesus, as was his custom, went to the synagogue. So Jesus had a habit on the seventh day of the week of going where? To the synagogue to worship. It was a habit. He didn't have to think about it on Saturday. If it's Saturday, I'm in the synagogue. That's Jesus. It becomes a habit, Right? And if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, you understand that when God kind of invented the nation of Israel and gave Israel the law, God said, now I want to create for you a rhythm of habits. So on the seventh day, here's a habit, don't work. And, and on uh, certain feast and festival days, here's a habit, celebrate. And here's a habit, when you take in your produce, give the first part of it back to God. And here's a habit, meditate on Scripture. And here's a habit, uh, do justice. And here's a habit, love mercy. Here's a habit, walk humbly with God. So we're, we're called to develop habits. And as you know, if you know the, the history of Israel, in Judges chapter 21, verse 25, you read, Israel was in a state where slowly the habits had slipped away and there were no more habits. So uh, do people still use God language? Yes. Do people still go to church? Maybe. Do, do people read their Bibles? Once in a while, when it's convenient. But fundamentally, even reading your Bible, going to church, doing certain things, here's the problem in Judges. God said, every man did that which was right, what? In his own eyes, and the result is a dry soul. And, and the result collectively is chaos. So we need desperately habits, right? 
Uh, a physical illustration of this uh, is available because I bought a book to train for our hike through the Alps. And the book was called The New Alpinism. And it's basically how to get in shape for going on long hikes, right? So I buy this book and I read it. And it's a big, fat book, but you can summarize it this way. There's really no, it's not rocket science. Here's the deal. If you want to get in shape to go on a long hike, what should you do? Start hiking, right? And, and so whole book about heart rate and heart rate variability and mitochondria and oxygen capacity and VO2 max and strength and flexibility. But here's the bottom line. Walk every day carrying something heavy, right? And if you do that, magic things happen. Mitochondria multiply inside of you, and that's kind of your energy storehouse. And the oxygen pumping capacity of your heart increases, and uh, you get new kind of capillaries that uh, deliver blood even further down into your toes and all the way up into your head. And so all this amazing stuff is happening just by hiking. I don't, I don't go out on a hike and will the mitochondria to multiply. The mitochondria multiplies a byproduct of hiking, do you see? And so this is the principle that we all of us know it. It's a physiological principle. We say it in America this way, use it or what? Lose it. Use it or lose it. So because the good news is if you use your body, it strengthens. The bad news is if you don't use your body, then you sit in front of the television, eat Doritos, and die. So those are the options, right? You either want to use it, or you lose it. And the same thing is true spiritually. God has invited us to create habits that will care for our soul so that the life of Christ residing in us can grow. I'll get to that in a minute. We need not only habits, but we need attitudes. And our attitudes are reshaped. We're told in Romans 12, we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. Our attitudes are reshaped by fixating on getting to know Jesus as companion. And we get to know Jesus as companion by encountering Jesus in the entire scripture, not just the gospels, but at the end of Luke, it says Jesus uh, revealing things concerning himself began with Genesis and went through the whole Bible to show the disciples that he was the risen Christ. So all of this is a revelation of Christ. As we get to know Christ, our minds are reshaped. We understand that Christ is hospitable, so we become hospitable. We understand that Christ is generous, so we become generous. We understand that Christ loves our enemies, so we begin to love our enemies. These things that we do happen as a byproduct of companionship with Jesus because Jesus shapes our values. So developing a rule of life means I am intentional about shaping habits and values that will enable me to look more and more and more and more like Christ. That's why you need a rule of life. That's why you need, in other words, to be intentional about developing habits to care for your soul. Second question is, you're like this. Okay, you've explained what a rule of life is. Why is it important? I mean, it sounds so legalistic, right? To get up and have to do certain things in order to grow in Christ. Why is a rule of life important? And here's the answer. The answer is simple. You, it, it begins with 1 John 3, 9. You have within you the seed of Christ. You have the seed of Christ within you. I'm going to read 1 John 3, 9 so that you understand just how powerfully significant the truth that you have the seed of Christ in you is. 1 John 3, 9. Um, it, it, John is writing to kind of give people confidence regarding their identity in Christ. And so this is what he says. First John 3, 9. Uh, no one who's born of God practices sin because God's seed abides in him. 
And then, this is a powerful verse. By the way, I'm reading this in the New American Standard Bible. And the reason I'm reading it in that version is because I went to Talbot Seminary. That's the reason. They gave me one when I graduated. So no one who's born of God practices sin because God's seed abides in him. And then this is powerful. He cannot sin. Let me read it and let it sink in. No one born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin. Now, if you're reading this and you take this seriously at all, warning lights go off. Bam, bam, bam. What do you mean he cannot sin? I sin all the time. Anybody in the room sin? Raise your hand. Is John lying? In fact, even John said, 1 John 1, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. So when John says in 1 John 3, 9, no one who's born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin, what does he mean? Here's what he means. He cannot sin because his seed abides in him. In other words, who cannot sin? The one whose seed abides in you. That's who. What seed abides in you? Christ. The seed of Christ has been planted in the soil of your heart, and Christ can never sin. Would you say that with me? Christ can never sin. And then, are you in Christ? Yes. So if you are living out from the power of Christ, watch me, you will not sin. So every time you sin, you're living as a contradictory to who you really are. Because you're made to be a person overflowing with nothing less than the life of Christ. And that's the whole point of the parable of seed and the sower. God says a farmer went out and he sowed seed. Now I'll tell you this, I grew up in Fresno, so I know a little bit about agriculture, right? Like the valley is all about it. And I had never, in all my years, my grandfather was a peach farmer, my uh, uncle was a raisin farmer, and uh, all, you know, it all happened down in Kingsburg, so I've done all that stuff. Never have I seen a farmer pour the bag of seed out on the table and evaluate, kind of evaluate the seed and go, okay, is this, a good, is this good seed? No, no, he's confident in the seed. What is a farmer worried about, though? Not the seed, but the soil. So that's why when you're driving 99, there's tractors and dust and water and airplanes and fertilizer and compost. All of that isn't for the seed. There's no problem with the seed. All of that is for what? The soil. Watch this. You are responsible for the soil that is your soul. You're responsible for the soil that is your soul. How do I know that? Parable of the seed and the sower. Somebody went out, a farmer went out, planted seed. Hey, the seed was fine. But some of it fell on the road, never grew. Some of it fell in rocky soil, began to grow, but it got choked out. Some of it grew in thorny soil, soil it began to grow, it also got choked out. And then some of it found what? Good soil. And the seed that found good soil, what? It grew and multiplied. 30, 100, 50. This is my desire, says Jesus, John 15, that you bear what? Much fruit. Why? Because my seed abides in you. You have everything you need to live the Christian life. So why isn't it working? Uh, soil care, that's why. The seed is being choked out by worry, fear, hidden sin, addictive behavior, and what you need to do about it is develop habits that continually till the soil of your heart because you have the seed within you. The problem's never with the seed. So, 
You've received the seed, and the seed only grows in good soil, so you need to create good soil. And how do you create good soil? By creating habits that feed and, and, and nourish the seed that is Christ. Creating habits. Now, let me explain what I mean by habits. Habits are things that you do without even thinking about it. I'll give you one example of my own life. Every morning I wake up and I make a, French, a full French press of really good coffee. I'm from Seattle. Of course I do, right? <laughs> so every morning I make this whole French press. And while it's uh, uh, steeping, right, while the coffee is doing, running its magic and making the water uh, like golden nectar, <laughs> while that's happening, I read my Bible. I just read my, I read my Bible. And then uh, usually a verse jumps out or something, and so then I write in my journal a little bit. But when I'm done reading my Bible, I press the plunger down and I pour a cup of coffee. And then while I'm uh, drinking the coffee, I write in my journal about what I learned reading my Bible. And then I'm done with my first cup of coffee. And then I pour my second cup of coffee. And I, I drink my coffee and I kind of look at my day. And then I pray. And I pray for my day. And it's pretty simple. Jesus, thank you. Thanks for the day. I know that you live in me. Thank you for reminding me. So thank you for reminding me that when I go out today, I go out as the presence of Christ in a world desperately needing Christ. I kind of receive that mantle, and thank you in advance for whoever you bring my way today. May I have your eyes. May I have your, your hands, your feet. May I speak your words. Thank you in advance. Done. I do that every day. Well, almost every day. I do it, but poetically speaking, every day, right? I do it every day. So much so that it's become Pavlovian. Do you know what I mean by that? When I smell coffee, I look for my Bible. Because I know, oh yeah, this is called, in my life, in my world, it's called coffee with God. And it's in my, it's in my outlook. 6 a.m., coffee with God. So people call, hey, you want to meet at 6? I go, no, can't meet at 6. Why? Well, I have another meeting at 6. How about tomorrow at 6? Nope, never at 6. I'm always busy at 6. Busy at 6. What do you do at 6? You know, I have an appointment every morning at 6. Who do you meet with every morning at 6? Oh, you know, nobody important. Creator of the universe. Like, we go over the day together, you know, check out the agenda. I have a little part to play in whatever he wants to do. That's what I do. So it's become, watch this, it's become a habit. That's all a rule of life is. You're intentionally creating habits that feed the soil that is your soul. And all of us need to create those kind of habits. And here's the deal. Uh, when this happens, you just keep showing up and you become less worried about the results and more confident that the very act of showing up is transforming you. Does that make sense? The very act of showing up is transforming I'll give you an example. Those of you who are married in the room understand this. Uh, my third cup of coffee in the morning is when my wife, who's hiking in the snow with our neighbors, when she comes back from her hike, she pours herself a cup of tea, I have my third cup of coffee, and we sit and we talk about the day that's ahead. And so we, we just sit and talk. And some days, when we, it's a habit, right? Third cup of coffee is with my wife. Some days, uh, it's super meaningful, and we get into some pretty deep things. Some days, she totally makes me laugh. And when I proposed to my wife, Donna, she said, get this, I, I said, will you marry me? And here's her answer. Tell me why you want to marry me. Who says that? <laughs> like, come on. 
could be yes or no. Tell me why. Anyway, that's what she did. So I said three reasons. You know, number one, um, you give me freedom to fail. Number two, you always make me laugh. Number three, you live anywhere in the world. Number two, always make, she still makes me laugh. So some mornings meaningful. Some mornings we laugh. Some mornings she's super annoying, actually, because she says stuff that I don't want to hear but I need to hear. Does that make sense? So some mornings she's annoying. And then here's the thing, single people, you know, let, it, let you in a little secret. You ready? So some mornings, are you ready? It's boring. It's boring. Like we're together, and I'm drinking my coffee, and I'm like this, really? That's all you got? Come on. No challenge, no argument, no joke, no laughter, no meaning. Look, we've been doing this for 39 years. Never have I said this. You've bored me two days in a row. I'll give you one more chance, and then I'm out of here. I've never said it. And the reason I've never said it is because I know this. You just keep showing up and good things happen. And we know it. We, most of us in the room understand it with marriage. I don't, I'm not convinced we understand it with God. We read our Bible, and then a couple days go by, and nothing meaningful happened. And then we're like this. You know what? I, we kind of slowly drift away, and we're done. And then we look, and we wake up one morning, and we go, you know what? I haven't opened my Bible other than in church for six months. No, you need habits that care for the soil of your soul. And some days it's meaningful, and some days it's joyful, and some days it's lament, and some days it's confrontation, and some days it's boring. So what? Spiritual mitochondria are multiplying. Capillaries are being formed. More joy, more peace. Christ is being given you know, freedom to find expression through your life. You need habits. That's why you need a rule of life. Uh, and Jesus had habits. In Luke 5, verses 15 and 16, you read, Jesus often withdrew alone to the desert to pray. There's a couple of habits. Solitude, silence, and prayer. Right there, in that, in that one verse. Uh, uh, Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. Uh, the man who meditates on Scripture will be like a tree planted by living water, continually receiving the life-giving nutrients needed to be fruitful and multiply. He will be blessed in all he does. That's the habit of Bible reading and meditation. You know, in Scripture it says uh, that we, uh, people exercise physically. First Timothy 4, 8, physical training is of some value, but disciplining ourselves so that the soil of our soul is receptive to the seed of the resurrected Jesus, that's even more valuable than jogging. So we need to develop habits. And if I've convinced you of that, then the third and final question would be, great, how do I create a rule of life? And here's what you need to do. Habits are formed in our life because there's a cue that uh, kind of causes an action and you no longer think about it. How many people brush your teeth in this room? I mean, if you didn't raise your hand, you're not listening, I hope. <laughs> right? Everybody brush, we all brush our teeth. And there's a cue, isn't there? There's a cue. Uh, for many of us in the room, breakfast is over, and the last thing I do before I leave the house is brush my teeth. It's the last, it's just, oh, I'm leaving, I gotta brush my teeth. You don't have to think about it because it's a what? Habit. It's a habit. You don't go to the bathroom and go, man, what should I do now? Like I could, look, I could read, I could check my phone, I could text message somebody, 
I could watch a YouTube video, or I could brush my teeth. Let's think about this. No, you don't do that. It's a, it's a habit. How awesome would it be if, like, you have a queue, I'm leaving, brush my teeth, it's Tuesday, take out the garbage. How awesome would it be if you had a queue for some spiritual habits? Oh, it's morning coffee? For me, that's Bible, prayer, and meditation. Like, the coffee's the cue. If there's coffee, I want to be with Jesus. Right? If it's Friday, Friday's a cue, that's my Sabbath. So Friday's my Sabbath, so that means I'll be hiking in the morning. And sometimes with my wife and sometimes alone, but whether I'm alone or with my wife, uh, we'll be hiking in silence as we ascend, and then we'll talk on the way, on the way down. And as we're hiking, we're just enjoying creation and, 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 and praying, perhaps, for people uh, and listening for what God has to say to us and, and, and learning to worry about nothing but pray about everything with gratitude in our hearts so that anxiety runs away. So Fridays are days for me of practicing Sabbath, silence, and solitude. Coffee, daily, Bible, prayer, and meditation. There's a cue that leads to action. And the action always leads to a reward. And the reward is I know I'm being transformed. So you're called to be in very intentional, and that's why you have this tool. Because on the back, here's the front looks like this. The back white side gives you a chance to create intentions. My intent is to interact, for example, the very first one. My intent is to interact with the scriptures. Say, if you don't have any rule of life, one time per week and respond with prayer and a note and a journal. I'll, try to, I'll go for one time. So now you have an intent. And then you need a cue. When will you do this? What's your cue? Oh, you know, I will do this with my morning coffee if that works for you. I will do this by having the verse of the day emailed to me. And so when I'm checking my email, that's when I'll do it. But wh whatever you do, you need a cue, and, then you, and you need intention, because you don't grow in Christ accidentally. If you're accidental, then the soil of your soul is filled with roots and rocks and, and thorns and stuff, and it's going to choke. Intentionality will lead to growth. So, uh, cue... You need a cue, and then you need intentionality, and then over time, the cue, uh, you, just, you just do it, it becomes what? A habit. How liberating is that, right? Now, I'm not wasting any energy deciding what to do. I know. If it's coffee, it's prayer, Bible, meditation. If it's Friday, it's Sabbath, solitude, and uh, silence. And that's the way it works. So as you begin to develop this, and my prayer is that you will... And I'm confident under Darren's, Darren's leadership and shepherding uh, that you will be challenged to do this. As you do this, let me give you a couple of principles. First of all, consistency trumps volume. In other words, when you start, start small. If you don't have any spiritual disciplines, don't make ten, make one. Because one habit will give you courage to, to try two, to try three. And when you make your habit, don't just kind of shoot the bow and arrow and where it lands, uh, draw the bullseye around it. Uh, in other words, don't look at what you're already doing and say, that's my goal. Your goal is to move and progress. Because Paul, at the very end of his life, says, I have not yet arrived. You know, I'm pressing on Philippians 3. You always want to be moving forward. How can I make the habits that are caring for the soil of my soul stronger? How can I do that? So, uh, consistency trumps volume. Just try and do it. Second, community trumps individualism. We have a group that run together in our church, and they meet together on uh, Saturday morning at the church, and they go running. And if you talk with most of them, 
most of them uh, wouldn't go except for the fact that other people are going. Does that make sense? For the you who don't run, you're totally understanding this. It's true in mountaineering as well. I climb, when I, I've climbed Mount Rainier a few times up in Washington, and uh, I'm convinced that no one who summits Rainier wants to. I don't think anybody wants to. We only do it because other people are doing it with us. Because at the top, uh, here's how you feel. Like you've got a headache, you're sunburned, you're hot, you're cold, you're your head is bursting, your heart is beating at about 160 beats a minute, your, your arms ache, you're crossing crevasses, you're at risk of death from avalanche, death from snow bridges, death from rockfall, and you go anyway. Why? Who, who knows? <laughs> other than there's other people doing it. And you're like, okay, we'll do this together. And so there's, there's something powerful about being in a community that are committed together to growing in Christ. And so I have a community, we're going to rule a life together, and I have one old man in Seattle who doesn't go to my church, and I meet with him, and I say, I want you to check up on me and ask how I'm doing so that I'm motivated to continue to grow and I have a support base. So uh, uh, community trumps individualism, consistency trumps volume, and then kind of the last thing is this, uh, bathe this whole process with grace. Because if you actually do this, and I hope you do, uh, you'll declare something and then you'll fail. But listen, when you fail, just recognize this. God's mercies are what? New every morning. And so the next, you wait for the next morning and you're like this. Okay, I didn't read yesterday. I said I would. It's okay. Not even worried about it. Our biggest problem isn't our failures. Our biggest problem is the shame and condemnation that comes from Satan when we fail. So, new day. Get up. Start again. Uh, I'll just close by sharing a story of why this is so meaningful to me. My mentor, who's now passed away, Major Ian Thomas, founded Torchbearers Missionary Fellowship, 27 Bible schools around the world. He spent over 60 years preaching almost every week of his life from Sunday to Thursday, all over the world, six continents. When he was 93 years old, I had the privilege one day of being kind of his caregiver while his wife went to church. So it's a Sunday morning, and I'm with him in Estes Park, Colorado, and uh, he's sitting in, in the living room, and at, right precisely at 10 a.m., he says, Richard, turn on the TV. He's a major, so that's the way he says everything, right? It's like a command. Richard, turn on the TV. I turn the TV on. It's a church service. Richard, bring me my Bible, he says. So I go in and says, I get his Bible. Listen, this thing is so marked up that it's twice as thick as it should be. Like it's well-read, well-worn, like notes at all the margins, you know. I... I don't know anyone ever, I've never known anyone who knows their Bible better than Major Thomas. Richard, bring me a pen. I bring him a pen. This guy starts speaking, and here's my mentor. At 93, right? All right, today's text, he opens the Bible. And then he's taking notes. And he's writing in the margins. And he's hungry. And he's eager. And he's learning. At, are you ready? At 93. Like, you want to be that? I do. Like, I am so tired of watching pastors and Christians talk a good game and then evaporate. No. No. What do we need? Soil care for the soul. How does that happen? Habits. How do you create habits? Rule of life. You're welcome. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray that as we go forth from here, we would not go out unchanged. You, you've given us everything we need to live the Christian life. You've planted the seed of Christ within us. Nothing less than the risen Jesus resides in our soul. Would you now guide us in 
caring for the soil that is our soul, Father. The weeds and the roots and the thorns and the rocks that are preventing growth would fall away that more and more and more of Christ would be represented in our hearts, in our marriages, with our roommates, in our families, in schools, in hospitals, in law offices, throughout the greater Los Angeles Basin and the far ends of the world. And we'll thank you for the adventure that awaits as we follow you on the path of transformation, praying in Christ's name. Amen. Let's worship together.